Welcome to Mostly Talk, a podcast about business or an excuse to hear from some interesting people. We'll leave that up to you. Find out more at mostly.consulting. Just out on a walk, actually, I thought I'd like to start this episode by saying thanks to Claire Nelson of Strathclyde Sirens. Uh, meant a lot to get her on the show. Uh, she's meant a lot to help us kickstart Mostly Consulting. And uh, yeah, thanks again to her. This week, I'm excited to announce that it's the turn of Gary McLean, uh, winner of MasterChef in 2016, and uh, Scotland's first national chef. Gary's a really inspiring guy, um, trained loads and loads of up-and-coming chefs um, in the excuse the car <laughs> in the Glasgow circuit. Uh, he started loads of restaurants as well. Uh, he's a great bloke and it's just great to get some insights from him on life in lockdown. So tune in to Mostly Can Talk this week and uh, thanks for listening. Hey, uh, how you doing? Hi Gary, you well? Yeah, not bad, not bad. I was on, there was another Google link on that uh, diary I'm a, request. I'm a disaster for doing it, Gary. I'm a, I'm a nightmare with a calendar invite. Sorry. <laughs> I was sitting on that waiting and I thought I better just uh, double check it, double check I've replied. And, you chefs are uh, really punctual. I thought I thought there must have been something like that went wrong. But. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so I was sitting there quite patiently waiting to get let in. But uh, and I, I just scrolled back to the initial invite. There was a, a Zoom. But anyway, we're here my, now. Good. My fault. Sorry about that. Um, and how, how are you? Well, you're you've been. Uh... Okay, no bad, no bad. I mean, it's crazy times as such. But um, you know, I can't kind of complain. You know, everybody's safe and well, and that's the the most important factor. So kids, kids are back at school. The wee ones are back at school. So you've got a young um, squad, right? You've got quite. There's four kids. But I've got I've got five. Five kids. Um, three of them are grown up, so um, they're at different stages of their life, uh, and they all stay here. And I've got two little ones at primary school, so um, there's a big, massive gap between the first three and the last two. So um, it's a uh, it's a busy house. And a nightmare with all the schools and stuff being shut for a while and things. Right? Just... I think I think to be fair, I think a lot of people found the homeschooling thing uh, really difficult. Um, yeah, we and you know we uh, we worked really hard at it. We we we've got our two evens are at the time when the when the lockdown was it was a primary two primary three, um, and uh, so we we pretty much or so I say my wife kept up school hours, so yes. we had uh, two different classroom two 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 rooms in the house. We had uh, signs up room four room two and. <laughs> you know, they would they would get into room four for computer work and into room two for written work and all that. So it was it was really regimented. The kids were up early, and so uh, and to be fair, the uh, particularly with my youngest, we've, we've noticed a massive difference in, in his ability to read and write since wow. we um, we spent so much one to one with him. So you know, look at looking back on that, that you know, when he left school, when he, when the school shut, he couldn't read or write, um, and he had no interest and just really disengaged and. Uh, all credit to my wife. She did a, a lot of work, um, and he's uh, he's on track. So that's been a, a positive. Was it a, was it a fraught house though? The seven of you was it was it quite tough at times? I guess the same as everyone. Hi. Hello. Did you did you lose we that did. there, Gary? We did indeed. Yeah. I don't know what happened there, Matt. I've got really good internet, so it normally doesn't cut. <laughs> I'm in a dodgy part of Glasgow, so I don't. <laughs> uh, yeah. With the amount of online stuff I've been doing from home, um, a lot of live stuff, I've yeah. upgraded on it about five times, so I'm right. as good as it gets. So I was saying, is it, was it a fraught house with the, with the seven of you, or you kind of you remained friends throughout? No, do you know what? It was... Um, it, it was actually really good. There was no, there was no real tension, um, and I think both Sean and I appreciated the fact we were getting some time with our kids and it's almost like if someone told us all in March that we'd still be in this situation you know hitting November and, and possibly further obviously further 
I think it would have been a different kettle of fish, but mm. you, you're led in a week at a time, aren't you? You know, we were only yes. in lockdown for three weeks, albeit when we left college in March, um, we knew we weren't back to late uh, till August, mm. you know, because of the, just because three weeks into the, the lockdown, we'd be looking at uh, exams and stuff, and we were pretty much um, told that that would be us till August. And as it turns out, it was September. And are you back? You're back in the college now, so basically, what we're doing at college now is blended. So right. we've we've still got, from a food point of view, we've got practical practical lessons, albeit we're looking at social distancing. So there's only seven students in a class. Okay. So our groups are, funnily enough, twenty one. So each class has been broken into three groups for yeah. practical lessons, and our theory classes have been have been uh are, are up to about 70 students i think a lot of the lecturers are now doing i'm not actually on timetable at, at the moment so i've kind of moved uh roles within the college which is which is slightly different but i'm still in contact i still do things like training and competitions and that sort of stuff so i'm in the what, college a what, couple of days a week what phenomenal facility the college is i i went um so i saw you on master chef in 2016 that'd be right the year yep. you won it and yep. then my wife knew that I was a, a fan because I was shouting at the TV a lot when you were when you were on. And uh, she she got me for a Christmas present. She got me a course at the college, so right. the, night, the night classes. Right. I forget the lecturer's name, but but phenomenal. And and, uh, and uh, I would have been there with a, as with a fanboy with a, with a picture for you to sign. But <laughs> so, yeah, well, but it was really really good fun. And the facilities at the college were were excellent. Obviously. It's 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 incredible. Um, I mean, we're we're really lucky, particularly at the city of Glasgow uh, College. You know, that's a brand new facility. We we get the opportunity to help in design and and fight for space, and um, it's just phenomenal that building. I mean, I you know, my normal role is traveling the world, and and I go I go into a lot of colleges. You know, I, I do a lot of stuff in a lot of colleges all over the UK and all over United States and Asia and India wow. and stuff like that. And I have never seen anything like City of Glasgow. Yes. You know. Yeah. It's uh, it's just it, it's it's been put together with you know the future in mind. So yeah. no, it, it, it's incredible. Um, I mean, we were spent the first four years just showing folk round. <laughs> but were you with the college a long time before the the new building? Well, I, I'm a kind of, I would say I'm definitely I'm a product of the college. I was uh, back when I was a student at college. Um, very very few people went full time. Mm. So most people did part time whilst at work. And that was a kind of that was a kind of model. It's only it's actually really recent, you know, in the last sort of fifteen years that students leave school and go to college full time. Yes. You know, back then when you were learning kind of trade skills, most you know, I, I presume painter decorators and builders and joiners and all that, majority of the time was spent in the workplace. So, um, but I did a twilight classes. So I did from two to nine, uh, two days a week for eight years. Wow. Um, so I worked my way right through everything I could get. And then I was I was away from the college about a year. Then I was asked to go back and teach, so I went back to teach one day a week um, for thirteen years. Mm. So and for me at that point, in my career I was running you know big big companies and and opening lots of restaurants and stuff. And for me, it was the only way I kind of got a day off. I kind of saw that Wednesday as my escape from you know I could go in. I wasn't in charge of anything. I was dealing with students and the next generation. Of, a chef's coming through and it was a great experience just doing that Wednesday every day for, for 13 years. Yes. And then um, I eventually kind of decided to flip it on its head. So I then went full-time teaching and I did part-time uh, restaurants. Okay. So um, so I've been a product of the college the whole time. I'm, I'm, I've been there since pretty much 1988. Wow. Uh, without, without, you know, one, one guys or another. Um, and it's been it's been fantastic. Uh, if it wasn't for the college, I don't think I would have ever done things like MasterChef and stuff like that. It would never have happened. And and you've had such a successful career from from really like humble beginnings. If you like, you were working as a, a was a KP in a kitchen at one point, or you early. No, no, I've, I've never, I've never. Um, don't get me wrong, I've done a lot of dishes by then, but I've never. I was lucky enough to get my first start as a chef uh-huh. uh, at fifteen. Um, so I started in nineteen eighty seven. Uh, wow. I worked in a place called Forest Hills out in Kinlacard in the Trossachs. 
Okay. So I got my, my first job there. My brother got me my, my first start there. So I was lucky that I didn't have to do the the the, the, the couple of years over the, the dishes. I knew what I wanted to do. You know, a lot of the chefs that start on the dishes are kind of not sure what they want to do and they kind of fall into food. Um, I knew I wanted to do food from, you know, the age of 12. So and you just, my mission you just was to it. get your a spare right. So. Your mum was a good cook or someone in the house that just got you into nah, it? terrible. Nah, terrible. <laughs> mum was a terrible cook. Absolutely shocking. Um, which I think in a kind of weird kind of way might have pushed me into food, you know, thinking life can't be this tough when it comes to, to dinner time, you know. So, <laughs> um, But no, no, it was... Um, I, I don't know. I just messed about with food. And, and this has gone back to a time when there was no kind of celebrity chefs. And the reality is no one ate out. You know, you didn't, you didn't eat out. If you were a kind of, if you, you grew up there or I grew up in Glasgow, there was no one ate out. No one's parents took them to, you know, and there was the McDonald's and there was the Burger Kings and all that sort of stuff. So the your only experience growing up of food that wasn't cooked at home was either your friend's homes or it would have been a, a takeaway. You know, fish and chips, um, Chinese or Indian. So that was your only experience of food that wasn't from the house. And as a young, you know, a young guy looking to get into food, it, it was it seemed kind of almost impossible that there was a job out there because you never saw, um, you never saw a restaurant. And the good restaurants in Glasgow, um, probably with the exception of the Buttery and the Regano, all the all the restaurants were in hotels. Yeah. And again, if you're living in you know, you're living in Knightswood in Glasgow. You're not, you're never in it. Why would you be in a hotel in Glasgow? So you just don't know it. Um, so I was kind of lucky and I had a lot of good people around us at the time that kind of supported us and, and advised us on uh, career. And I made some cracking, cracking moves. I, I, I knew straight away I wanted to work in the best places. So mm-hmm. um, I worked really hard at it. And to be fair, still am. <laughs> I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, what is it they say, I'm 13 years into my apprenticeship. <laughs> but you, you obviously you yeah, love it. Right? Learning, but you, um, came, you came over so well on, on Master Chef. You know, did you did you have ambitions to win it from the start? Were you? No, nah, not not a chance. Um, I'll be honest. I'm a big fan of Master Chef, and that's why I did it. It took me a few years to get on it. Um, and basically, the the reason that I mean, I'll go back to what I said earlier about if it wasn't for the college, I probably wouldn't have done it. As soon as I went full time at college, uh, I thought to myself, I want to do competitions. I want to get the sh- I want to get the students through um, as many competitions as possible. I want Set of Glasgow College to be the best competition college in the UK. So that was my mission. So um, for years, uh, we did, uh, I, I sort of coached the teams and stuff like that. We won everything. We were all over the world, America, and, you know, uh, we'd win all the big student competitions all over the UK. And um, my students started saying to me, you know, Master Chef, the professionals we use as a kind of teaching tool. So the theory is, and you know the format. The first, uh, the first half of it, I think, is probably the best TV uh, out there. You know, where the skills test happens. So they wheel a chef in. They do what they call a kind of um, basic task. You know, boning of fish and 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 butchery and and basic desserts and all that sort of stuff. And they always fail miserably. And there's a hundred reasons why they fail miserably um, because of the way they set it up. But uh, we use that as a tool because the students come in that day and they, did you see, because they always build them up, you know, and they always get the chefs to do the big chat about winning and all that. And I, I never fell for that at all. I never did any chat about me winning. I just wanted to have a bit of fun. But um, they do the whole thing. Uh, and then, as I say, this, the next day, the students say, did you see that head chef from so-and-so who couldn't, you know, fill out a fish or bone a bit of lamb or whatever it may be? And uh, we reinforce what we are trying to teach them. This is why you're at college. You know, you've got those skills because that particular individual uh, didn't get properly trained. Because in the UK, training as a chef at college sometimes isn't held in as high regard as it is in other countries. Yes. So in the, in the states, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't get very far up the the chain in the industry in America unless you're qualified. So unless you get your papers, unless you get your culinary degree, you won't even get an interview for a big job in a in a nice hotel and, and stuff like that. Whereas in the UK, and I think it's getting better, but in the UK, the qualifications are secondary to that first impression and and. Obviously, CV is a big part of it, but 
Um, we're, we're teaching we're teaching chefs to be head chefs. We're teaching them to be managers of businesses as opposed to just being cooks. And that makes do, sense. Do you think do you think the same is said for all of hospitality in the UK? Because even like waiters in like France, for example, it's a profession in France, you know, and they're held in such high regard and with respect and things. Whereas here, it's kind of a part time job, but it's it's not a career progression. It's a vocational sort. Of I, th- I, I think. I think a lot of it is definitely unique to us in the UK. We we are, and I don't know if it's because of our history and our, our the the way Britain has been has been evolved over history. But people in the UK don't like to be subservient. They don't like to serve. Yes. Um, and you're right, particularly front of house. A lot of our a lot of the staff front of house are part time, um, part time in the industry and full-time training to do what they're doing and and on occasion you do get you do get the people who fall in love with service and uh, stay in it but that's it but again and elsewhere there's you know again in the states and france and in asia people young people leave school wanting to be a hotel manager or a restaurant manager or or that sort of thing so there's a really there really is a different attitude towards it Obviously, things just now are really, really difficult for everybody. Yes. And I think, you know, the industry itself is worrying about people leaving because we've had such a tough time. But I think there'll be as many people wanting to come in as well because a lot of industries have suffered. Yes. So I think there'll be as many coming in as going out. And it's, it's worked so hard with the, sort of the social distance and things and, and, you know, businesses that were struggling and put all these measures in place and then to be shut down for for periods of time it's just really difficult for them right you can it's uh it, it is uh, and again particularly because you know the restaurants invested and and they followed the rules and they bought the they they, they made their venues covid secure as they were guided and then they were the first to be shut yes uh-huh. um i mean it, but i think i think what's most important i think the, you know the the, the hospitality industry is taking COVID very, very seriously and, as I say, have, have totally embraced it. I don't think anyone with a restaurant sitting back saying, I should be open as normal. But we, I think there's a, there's a lack of um, real understanding about the trade, you know, the, 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 the timing that, we're, that the trade's been given to close you know, when restaurants are fully booked and staff are on rotas and, you know, all of that. It's not like switching on a light that as soon as your restaurant's open, you open. It takes days and days and days to, to even prepare that and yes. and order the food. And, and the, the you know, it, it's not, you know, it's not just switching on a light. You just, there's a lot of work involved. And likewise, there's a massive amount of work on a shutdown as well. You know, so if, I think if the, if, if the restaurant's, Throughout the country, throughout the United Kingdom, we're given a bit more time to to adjust to what's coming. It makes life a lot easier. But again, it's difficult times. So where does that information come from, and when do they make the decisions? So and, and no, but it's just a, like a, a tough time. A, a positive in that we all bloody love going to restaurants. It's an important part of our culture. It's going to come back, and 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 it's yeah. Know, and no, I, I'm I'm a glad. I'm a glass half full kind of guy, and I, I truly, I truly believe once we get over this, people will go out and they'll appreciate what they're what they're going to get, you know. And I think we'll be we'll, we'll be appreciative of a lot of different things, but I think restaurants and a, and a, and, a, and a weekend away and all these things that we've kind of lost will uh, will will appreciate them much more. Yeah, definitely. I worked in the Regano as a waiter for six months when I was at uni. And uh, you know, I just I love it. I think it's such an important skill set to be able to serve people, and and you learn loads about people, right, and how they behave, and yeah. And, and so, when were you there, if you don't mind me asking? I'll probably know the so chef. It would be. Was it Billy? Was the chef? I think it was two thousand and six. Two thousand six. Going back I, a bit, yeah, yeah. It's, I think it was the seventy fifth year. Uh, it was a big party the year I was there, but uh, the uh, it was funny. I, I was such a clumsy waiter. I was, I was dreadful at it, to be honest, but. I went in, there was a table, a table for one once came into the restaurant and she was sitting there and quite prim and proper as, as a lot of the customers can be. And uh, she asked at the end of her meal when I was coming down her table and stuff, can I have a digestif? And I didn't, I'm a country bumpkin. I don't, I'm a right chukter. <laughs> so I, I didn't know what that was, right? So I went to phone up the chef saying, hey, can you set up a plate of digestive biscuits? 
So I went out with six <laughs> digestive biscuits on a plate for her, <laughs> thinking I'd, I'd done her a good turn. And she said, no, I said a digestif. And it was, uh, so it was quite embarrassing. <laughs> I still, I still but the Regano, particularly then, would have been, you know, the, the, the place to be. Rod Stewart and all that was there. And, yeah. Was, you know, was Gordon, was Gordon Yule there at the time? I'm was not he sure. the GM? I recognise his name. Not I don't know. Was he there? It was Jim. If he was there, you would def, you would definitely know. Oh, it was Jim. Uh, Jim Kerr at the time. Then Jim. And yeah, Craig. yeah, yeah. Craig was the uh, one, and, and Anne, Anne Patterson. If course. Gordon Yule was there, you would definitely know him. He's uh, I would say he's Glasgow's maitre d. Um, <laughs> really, really, really classical, very customer focused. You would definitely know him. But yeah, Jim, Jim Kerr is uh, Jim Kerr's of similar vein. Um, who's also a very good cook as well. Yeah, and he's a, a proper chef as well as a front house. I was going to ask you how do you how do you treat the family when you when you're at home? Is it like the plumber's taps that you you know you're? Is it difficult? <laughs> is it difficult to keep them? Uh, I mean, I've got the same issues as most most families in trying to get teenagers to eat bits and bobs. Um, yeah. I think the advantage I've got normally I always do. I always normally I I, I batch cook. So before I wouldn't be home that often and I'd be traveling a lot, but I always batch cooked and vacuum packed. So there was always something in the fridge. So it was almost like a, a restaurant in here. Would you fancy tonight for your dinner? We'll get this, this and this. Um, now that I'm, I'm at home every day, uh, I'm cooking most days. So, um, but kid, kids are difficult. Kids are, uh, you know, we've got, you know, my eldest son will eat everything, uh, anything that's there except the processed food. So if there's ever a night we want to fling a pizza and he won't have it. Um, I've got two teenagers who are uh, a nightmare. Um, it's getting better, and uh, my two wee ones are pretty good. So, but it's it's a it's like a wave, you know. As their as their age changes, their tastes change. Um, but they they all they all eat well. They all eat okay. And do they have a do they like do they like cooking themselves to get involved? Uh, my youngest does. He loves it. Um, yeah. As soon as I as soon as I get get in front of the the uh, the stove, he's there. He pulls up. He's got a a, a little uh, stool thing that he can stand on, and he'll he'll pick the beans. And, and now he's I mean he's only he's only uh, six, but he's now cutting and stuff like that. So, oh, wow. but he he loves it. And my house, I've got a big massive kitchen where kind of sitting area and a dining bit and all that. And it's it's the kind of heart of the home. So everything happens in the kitchen so they don't really they don't really miss a trick so they see everything that's going on um which, which is good so long may that continue and it's such like a, you know like in terms of the job market going forward who's to say what will happen you know there's automation here and there and everywhere and autonomous vehicles and stuff but you'd think that one thing that'll be still in existence is the restaurant hospitality you know if it should be a, a decent career yeah. for people you know and it's better if you're passionate about food right yeah, I mean, again, when I started cooking, eighty-seven, uh, I think the UK had was in the worst unemployment status since the uh, Great Depression, and we we always we all I always thought at least I'll always work. You know, everyone will always need to eat. I mean, no one would have ever seen this coming. But you're right. I think there's. Um, I'm I'm hoping after this, people will appreciate what they get in the restaurant more because they've been in the house they've had to cook themselves yeah. they've maybe had to make a special dinner and they realize the cost and the time and the effort involved in doing that and i'm hoping that when we do open up the restaurants can be a wee bit braver and uh charge a wee bit more reduce their menus get the quality up and uh, hopefully make a better living the other thing as well with this is a lot of the big chains are you know, a lot of the big chains have really struggled, um, which then arguably gives more customers to the ones that are left. So hopefully, it's a it's a much more vibrant and profitable business for the for the people that can make it through. And it's the good guys that will survive. It's the proper restaurateurs, the proper people that have got heart and soul in the restaurants that will come through this because they have a full understanding of what they what they want to do. You're listening to Mostly Talk. If you're enjoying the show, why not leave us a review? Thanks for listening. Now, back to it. And you do see Glasgow. And I, I came to Glasgow in uh, 2002, I think it was, and went away for six years, I suppose it was, at various stages of my career. But 
it's it's phenomenal the vibrant independent restaurant culture now isn't it you know Finiston and... yeah de- definitely I think since the uh, dare I say it the Crab Shack opened that there's yeah. been a kind of revolution in Glasgow no. you know um, for me that was the restaurant that kind of changed Glasgow um, r- rightly or wrongly but that's what got people away from the city that's what got younger entrepreneurs into into opening their own places you know mm-hmm. obviously because finiston finiston you know when i first started my career i mean there was no way you would ever think that you were opening a restaurant in finiston and pre-covid you know that that finiston um stretch started moving into party and stuff like that and uh there's also also a great scene in east end as well you know yeah, that people are it's a it's a kind of it's a kind of similar vibe where um people can open up their own thing without a million pounds in their pocket yes. and cook what they want to cook so mm-hmm. and i think that's where glasgow's probably quite unique to any other city in the in scotland is we've got that real young um vibe going on and what's your what's your predictions in terms of first Michelin star in Glasgow? Is there expected to be one soon? Um, I think there's. Uh, I don't think Glasgow cares, if truth be told. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there's uh, Kale Brooks probably yeah. probably uh, the, the the ones that are that are. A lot of people say they should have had already, um, but Lorna joining them from Andrew Fairley's. Will give them a little boost and maybe um, give them that little, just that, just that little uh, mark or two up that gets them on that threshold. But um, Glaswegians just want great food and great service and in a nice place. And I don't think Twinkly Stars matter uh, too much. And then the reality is, Kale Brook again pre-COVID was fully booked every night of the week anyway. So you know, it's 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 going to do. It'll do their it'll do their reputation. It'll be great for the the teams that work there in terms of CV and stuff like that. But I don't know if it'll change them too much financially. But I don't know. But I think they would be the ones, if anyone, to get it. Um, they're just going about their business really well and doing some nice food. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I like the place actually. It's really good. Where, where do you yeah. take your misses out to for for dinner if you when you get the chance? Well, we tend to uh, having so many kids. If we're out, we tend to um, stay out. So um, we tend to kind of do things like Glen Eagles and Tumbury and all that. So when we're we're out, we wouldn't go out on a Friday night just for something to eat then come home, mm. you know, that way. Um, so we tend to do um, where were we? We actually took, we, we took our first night out this week uh, on Saturday. Went to Lodge in the Lock um, for a kind of a, a COVID uh, secure, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it was okay. But um, as I say, we normally do something nice you know we, we sort of splash out because we're not out every week so we kind of uh, make sure when we do go out that we, we have something memorable um so that's that's what we tend to do um because yeah. obviously we, my wife's a chef as well we both of us been in the trade as well um the last thing you want to do is drag yourself into glasgow on a friday night where all your customers <laughs> yeah. you know so um after spending 30 years feeding them it's uh it's and not you, the same experience for us. And you, you kind of, you're already a wee bit of a local celebrity, I guess, because you, you, you're so well known in the industry. Before Master Chef, or did that really put you on the radar of people and get you? Get a I, th- bit of I think um, my, my career's, my career's taken a load of funny turns. I mean, I was executive chef at G1, so I had about six hundred chefs and eighty restaurants to look after. Wow. So your, your name, your name gets going there. Prior to that, I was running Yes Restaurant, that was a big sort of named place. Um, and then when I went into education, uh, I started sort of winning all the competitions and educator of the year and lecturer of the year and all that. So I created a kind of buzz on a, a separate, uh, probably more national and international name. And then obviously the big shock for a lot of people was me doing MasterChef after doing everything else that I'd done. Yeah. So I had I had a lot more to lose than I think most of them did. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'd went in and went out, day one it would have been a complete disaster um especially in glasgow you imagine going into masterchef as a lecturer and then having to face your students after going out day one it would have been an absolute catastrophe (laughs) but um i knew i knew i knew i knew what i wanted to do and i knew that i would do all right 
And uh, you came over very humble and, and you know, hardworking, obviously. But what's your style? You know, when you say you head up 600 chefs, are you, you're not a shouty bloke? Are you, is it just sort of... Nah, never. Nah, I, I, well, when I was younger, I was a head chef with a young Alton. Uh, my first head chef job was, uh, I was 20, 21. Mm. And I didn't know anything. It's, nobody knows anything at 21. Um, and I had five or six chefs. Some of them were ages with my parents and all that. And as I say, I didn't know what I was doing. And any time there was any issues and any problems, or any complaints, I was really angry. I was punching walls and shouting at waitresses and firing people and all that. And uh, good fun. And the, the time. Old, eh? <laughs> good fun at the time. No, no. It, it was just. It, it's not until you look back on it. It was. Uh, it was. We had. It was my defence. You know, I, I was too young and too inexperienced to understand that even the guy in charge can be wrong. I thought, how can it be my fault? I'm in charge. You know that way. It was kind of strange. You got put in but charge. I calmed down. Did you have a creative talent at that stage? You know, 21 to have that responsibility was. It yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I was young chef of the year. Uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, restaurants was getting getting all the awards. The food was great. All that sort of stuff. But being a being a, a good chef also means you need to be a nice person. And I'm, I was. I'm not sure if I was. Um, Again, just because I was dealing with everything else, all I thought was the main focus was food. I never worried about people. I never worried that I'm working 19 hours today, so will you and all that sort of stuff. But again, we're going back to, you know, the the, the very early 90s, you know. So um, it was a different time, you know, and I, I just had one mission. It was uh, to be the best that I could. Yeah. So and health or leather, it didn't really matter. But the older you get, the wiser you become. And uh, dare I say it, you get a lot more with uh, sugar than shite. So, yeah. and when you're managing, when you've got 600 staff, you you can't, I don't think you can rule with a big stick. I'm just going to check my computer's plugged in. Yep. <clears throat> and, and was there any particular mentor that kind of made you flip that switch from being that angry man to the servant, um, if you like? I think when you're standing in a restaurant yourself with no staff, it kind of teaches you really quickly because <laughs> <laughs> you've uh, you've shouted at them too much. Again, that was only the first couple of years in management. What I found, again, one of my, I'd say probably my main skill is multi-unit. My main skill is managing lots of different places and getting the best out of people. Yeah. And as soon as I had two or three restaurants to look after, the what I didn't want to be is, oh, God, here comes we Gary. You know, he's going to be shouting at us all day. So I, I, I quickly realised that the guys that were in the restaurant every day are the guys who are doing all the work, and I'm going to be there to support and guide and and, and ensure that they've got the tools they need to make that restaurant work. And that kind of completely changed. So I became as more like a mentor than a than a, an overbearing boss. I also, I also worked for uh, Glasgow Museums quite early on. I ran the Borough Collection and the I opened the Gallery of Modern Art, and the staff there. Um, were completely different to whatever, whatever who, they were completely different from any any type of worker I'd ever met because they were council workers. So they worked thirty three hours a week. I had to conform to the standards of Glasgow City Council and Glasgow Museums. So um, these guys had great working conditions. They had the great everything, great pay and everything else. So I had to adjust to that, and it was a strange new world for me because I'd always been in the, the sort of private sector, but then to move into into that and understanding that these guys are in here because this is a great job, not because the food's great, not because they want to win anything. They've just got a great job and you have to kind of conform to that or else you lose everyone or you end up in trouble. So again, all these little things kind of mould you and and, and, and and teach you how to be a better man manager. But uh, yeah. as I say, I think, you know, if I've, when I look back in my career, probably my strengths, you know, one of my biggest strengths is man management and, and getting the best out of people. Oh, brilliant. And, and and if you could open a restaurant in Glasgow tomorrow, what would you open? Is there any particular cuisine that you think is a winner or trendy right well, now? Or you, you you know fine well if I open a restaurant in Glasgow, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? I don't know. I've always said that if I was ever going to open, and I've opened about eighty restaurants in my career, and it's a tough, tough game. I mean, wow. it's unimaginably tough. And and some of the restaurants I've opened haven't worked for no reason. They just sometimes don't work. But um, I always said that if I was ever doing a restaurant, it would be Italian because um, people like it. It's uh, 
I won't say it's easy, but it's um, people know what they want before they come in, all that sort of stuff. There's uh, so I always thought that would be one of the easiest cuisines to to try and make a successful restaurant. Obviously, things change, and Gary McLean doing an Italian restaurant in Glasgow would be a bit weird. Um, so it would probably be it would cer- it would certainly be um, it would certainly be showcasing Scottish produce. Yes. Um, but it, I don't think it'd be fine dining. It wouldn't be kale brook or anything like that. Um, I've never, I mean, much as I've, I've opened and, and ran loads of really high end restaurants, I've never considered myself as being a as a, a fine dining chef. I can pretty much do anything. Yeah. Um, I get a real buzz from busy, busy places. You know, I want to queue out the door. Yeah. You know, and that's the type of the type of restaurant experience that I like. And Pisano is a phenomenal success story for Glasgow, isn't it? Genius, yeah. absolute genius. He's a. Uh, he, it's just, you know, it's it's the best of product. It's uh, sitting beside everyone else. It's cheap. You know, I mean, did I say it's cheap? Cheap's probably the wrong word. It's great value for what yes. you get. Everything that's on your plate is the best it can be. And I know that because I opened a very similar concept or, or part of that was a very similar concept. And it was the same tomatoes, the same cheese, the same flour, the same everything that I used kind of 10 years earlier. Mm. Um, and as soon as I seen it, I thought, genius. And it's like six quid, seven quid for a pizza. Um, obviously, he's now sold that concept and he's opened uh, Sugo. Yes. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you've been there. So Sugo is pretty much Paisano, but with, with fresh pasta. Yes. And it's uh, it's just seven seven things on a plate, you know, a couple of a couple of options on wine, one option on beer. It's genius, absolute genius. And it just you know, life can be over complicated sometimes. It's just nice to, to to bring it back down to a few things that work really well, right? And no, I just I just I just imagine myself in the meeting, you know, where uh, they're coming up with the Paisano concept and they're gonna buy, you know, the, the best tomatoes, the best flour, the best cheese, you know. And then they're going to charge half what MDL else is charging for mm-hmm. a similar product, and that's pretty much what he done. You know, this is just clever, clever, clever. And only having arguably one thing on the menu means you can churn that out, and you can keep consistency. And I mean, it's it's my my daughter's favourite restaurant. You know, anytime she's in town shopping or anything, um, that's that's where she wants to go. Attracts all ages. Being around the buzz, it's, it's great. Yeah. It's great. I've never. I mean, I don't know how many times I've been in. Maybe ten or so, maybe more. And I've never. I've never walked out going, "Ah, I've, I've done. I've done Pisano. That's it." But yeah. likewise with Sugo, I think I've done uh, Sugo a few times. I've done it. I've done it twice since uh, COVID hit, and it's been great. Really, it has been good. And it's uh, you don't feel like you're in a COVID environment, but they're doing it really, really well. The staff yeah. are very well trained. A friend of a friend, is it Jerry, the, the manager there? Is that right? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know them at all. Yeah. But yeah, a friend of a friend of a friend. But you're you're uh, did you always travel even before MasterChef or is that quite a new thing off your sort of your um no, I've always I've always found myself representing Scotland abroad. So I've done um I've done quite a lot in the States. So um I, I, I've done Tartan Week since nineteen uh no two thousand. I did Tartan Week in Chicago, then two thousand one, New York. Um, and I've been. Is it boil a haggis job, or what? What do you do for that? Do you know what? It's um, you can stand there with your chest out and tell them you've got the best produce in the world. Buy it. I'm over there on a trade mission. I'm over there trying to trying to get people to buy our product. Uh, and in the states, most of that's fish and shellfish. So I can stand there with my chest out and go, "This is the best in the world, and it is the best in the world. We have got the best." And you know, and that's what I do a lot of now. I'm all over. Um, this time last year I was pack, packing my bags to do a, a Scottish dinner in Miami and stuff like that and I think the same week I did a dinner in New York and the week before that I was in Cuba and all that sort of stuff so in, in that sense when I'm abroad it's, it, is, it is dead easy I normally just Google um, so if I'm in New York I'll Google Scottish Salmon New York and what happens is is it pops up the very best restaurants in New York. So my speech at the end of the meal is... Here's what I found. Oh, goodness me, what's that? That's my phone talk to me because I've, I've mentioned New York salmon. <laughs> but I can rhyme off the, you know, the three Michelin star restaurants in New York that are using Scottish produce. 
you know, and that kind of sells it. But we have we've got an amazing um, Scotland has got an amazing brand around the world, and you know, we're so lucky to have that. And whether or not you like the whole whiskey tartan Edinburgh Castle thing, every country in the world would love to have our marketing tools. Yeah. So. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of that. I, I go with a kilt on and I do the march down Sixth Avenue at Tartan Week, and yeah, you know all of that. But um, no, that that's a different that's a different side of my life. Um, and obviously, a lot of that comes or, or a lot. Of, uh, there's a lot more travel now because of the Scotland's National Chef role, and mm. um, that people that people kind of find out that's what you're on and stuff like that. Um, so a lot of that comes through things like British embassies and 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 stuff like that really interesting to write you meet so many interesting people and go pretty cool places right? oh it's like it's amazing and i mean i was in the jungle in columbia for a week and stuff like that i was wow. you know i was following uh following the journey of chocolate you know and you're in the back of a pickup for six hours going through this muddy trail to get to a village in a in the jungle yeah. uh no no toilets or anything you know it's but they've got big flat screen tvs <laughs> <laughs> But there's no no flushing toilets or anything like that. But um, no, it's it's incredible, you know, absolutely incredible. And the world's a great place, you know. People out there are nice and interested, yeah. and yeah. you know, there's a uh, now I've had some some great experiences. And even your, you know, you talked about the seafood, but your Aberdeen Angus beef that's known all over the world as well. You know, it's up there with Kobe in Japan, obviously. For you. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Um, you know, the the big thing is is Scotch. Aberdeen Angus is a breed that is all over the world. So the breed yeah. goes everywhere. So a lot of Aberdeen Angus beef comes from Argentina and stuff like that. So yeah. it's actual breed that's really that's really famous. The big thing, and, I, my, and it's not... My brothers are beef farmers, so they're tenant, tenant farmers on the East Coast. Oh, is they? They've got uh, Aberdeen Angus cattle, but pasture-fed, you know, organic stuff. And yeah. So as good as you can get. But yeah, the Argentinian story is interesting. Obviously, they ex-import it all, you know. Uh, but they've, they've, I mean, I, I don't think it's a patch on what, what we're doing here with Scotch beef. But no, um, no. unfortunately, in the States, we can't get beef in. No. So I, if I'm doing a dinner in Canada, you know, beef's a massive um, a, a massive ingredient on the menu. So we always showcase it there. But and is, it Scotch um, beef, is it the Scotch beef brand that you're an ambassador for? Or how does that work? You're, you're gonna... No, it's... Um, I mean, I'm, when I'm when I'm abroad doing a dinner, I try and push as many companies as possible. So I work with the Scottish Development International. Okay. And they they um they let me know what's available and what what's available in that area. I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it virtually. Um, so I've done quite a lot uh, via Zoom and things like that. I did um what was billed as the world's biggest cookery lesson. So I teamed up with um. Uh, Scottish Development International and a chain of supermarkets or, or gourmet food stores in Texas. So they've got 10 stores and then cook skills. And uh, so I put together this kind of menu, this package uh, that the customers could buy and then cook along. And we kind of hope to get a two dozen or three dozen people to sign up. And we got yeah. 2,000. Wow. So 2,000 people signed up to a cook along. So I'm in my kitchen on a Saturday night. Uh, and there's 2,000 Texans taking cameras. You're all set up cameras. Uh, I'm you? pretty good. My my daughter's a film student, or she oh, wow. just graduated. Yeah. So we've got we've got decent kit um, and lighting and stuff like that. So so it's been a, a big learning curve for me, and it's been great over lockdown to work with her because we've done hours and hours and hours of filming for loads of different stuff. We've got um we've got a a, a, a Cuban Scottish demo that we filmed that's going out on national TV in Cuba in a couple of weeks, um, which is kind of strange. But um, but she, my daughter, she's been in all the papers and stuff like that and on the news and all that because of what she's been doing with me. Yeah. I'd be sitting twiddling my thumbs if I didn't have her uh, <laughs> enthusiasm and expertise. Um, yeah. And as I say, I've got, I've got a great kitchen for it. So And do you see yourself uh, getting into your, your TV recording, sort of mainstream TV shows and stuff? Or is it? TV, TV's... Um, TV is really tough. Um, I had a show with the BBC Scot with BBC Scotland called Corner Shop Cook Off, and that that went out um, just as we get locked down. So, and it was a six series, a six episode show, and uh, 
we locked down episode three. So the last few episodes were, were, were on during lockdown, which was kind of strange. Um, but t- TV, TV in particular is really, really tough just now as well because there's, you know, the the rules on filming and and stuff like that. I mean, BBC are letting go a lot of their talent and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I would love to do do more TV. Um, what else? I did Landward for a few episodes as well. I've, I presented oh, yeah. on that, and yeah. that that was good. But I've done I've done a, a fair wee bit of TV. I'm on news quite a bit, and I do mm-hmm. radio once or twice a week. Do you get a kick out of that sort of stuff, or is it you know being on the tools making food that you get most satisfaction from? No, what what I found when I was on MasterChef, which was, you know, you're you're fully entwined in making a TV show. Um, I couldn't believe the the amount of work that the this this the team did on MasterChef, the cameramen and the the directors and producers and all that, they are working. And it reminded me of a really top-end kitchen, you know, that if one guy let MD down, it took me right back to when I was 18 and 19, being terrified to to not make a mistake, you know. And uh, I, I, I probably spoke more with the crew than I did with the judges and the other competitors. You know, that I, I leaned towards them for some reason because they were really doing such an amazing job. Yeah. And uh, they made all of us feel like we were the first ever MasterChef contestants. You know, when they're just doing it as a job day to day, we don't matter. But they treated us they treated us like superstars. Um, and that's what I liked. Yeah. And uh, as I said, I did a lot of TV before. I used to do uh, things like uh, Live at Five with SDB and stuff like that, um, which was a live show. So again, I think all of that helped. That I'd done maybe fifty shows of that prior yeah. to going on MasterChef. It can be never racking being in the front of a camera and doing these things. The fact that you had that sort of experience helped. Be, I'll be honest. I'm I'm probably more nervous. I'm probably more nervous at home with my daughter filming than I am on MasterChef yeah. because I don't need to do anything on MasterChef. I don't have to deliver it, and I don't have to. I don't have to have a particular thing to say. I don't have anything to sell. I just went on and being my, I was myself. So um, as long as you don't say anything daft, <laughs> that's what you're. Uh, that's all you all you really want to do. Better, better, better to uh, keep your mouth shut and them to think you're stupid than open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> <laughs> nah, and my, my main thing, my main thing was I wanted to be myself, you know, because ah. I knew that my my wife, my kids, my mum, and everything were going to be watching, and I didn't want. And the other thing as well, I knew my students would be watching, so I always made sure that every single move I made on food was correct and no cutting corners and no, you know, so... Did you ever get a ribbon from them from it, for any aspects of it? Always. Always. Yeah. I'd hate to think what would have happened if I'd went out week one because they slagged me for winning it. <laughs> but, um, but obviously, whilst the show was on, I, it was filmed right through the summer, so no one really knew I did it. And then all of a sudden, I appeared in episode whatever, 10 or whatever it was, I came into it. So we're already 10 episodes in as a class, and we're yeah. looking forward to the next. And I remember my, my tutor group, and uh, they're like, oh, are you watching, are you watching MasterChef tonight? Aye, aye, aye. And all of a sudden, at the end of that episode, I pop up as coming on the next one. Uh-huh. Um, so then the then it's kind of a bit mad, and they always want to know, did you win, did you win? And obviously, you can't see anything. I just always said to them, look, watch it tonight because that's my last episode so that was that was all i said but um you couldn't tell them how long did you have to keep it a secret it's about five months six months okay i can never do that but you kind of forget it's funny because you, you you're totally immersed in this for you know half the year and then you're out of it, and that's you. You're completely out of it for six and, months. So you go it, back to work. You go back to your normal life. But is it, and uh, you, knowing that this juggernaut... Were you three days a week at it, or as much as that when you were in it? Um, it was seven weeks. Oh, yeah. So I was seven weeks in London, and they would, they would fly you home as and when they could, depending on your rounds. But in the most part, I was away for about seven weeks. And then so you lose your, your income in that time as well, or do they, they sub you? Well, I was I was lucky. I was uh college, I was on the summer holidays at college. Oh, wow. So I was still getting paid. And I had a, I, I was running five restaurants and I just did that remotely, you know, kept in touch with the guys and and uh that sort of thing. And I got a lot of a lot of support from them. But um, Do you ever sleep? Do you ever <laughs> 
I sleep now, to be honest. I'm sleeping. I've got myself. I'm sleeping now. But back then, I mean, I, I remember being up at two in the morning talking to chefs about, yeah. you know, what's been going on and what am I doing next and all that. And then, then filming again at seven the next morning. But, um, mm-hmm. but no, it was a, it was a, it was a fun, crazy time. So, but uh, I'm really glad great, I did it. What's your greatest ambitions now? Then you must, you've always been ambitious. Then you've, you've. You've. Um. Do you know what? It's uh, everything's going great guns until COVID. You know, TV show was just out, had released a book, all that sort of stuff. So it was just really more of the same. Hoping to keep keep the travel up, um, keep the competitions going with the students. Uh, maybe doing some more TV, that sort of thing. So that that hasn't changed. So I'm hoping once we get back to some sort of normality that these opportunities will, will start coming back. Yes, yeah. No, and, and uh, I really appreciate your taking the time to, to speak to us. It's phenomenal. No, not at all. Yeah, and I look forward to I'll get back to college sometime and do another uh, one of your, your courses. I know, we're, we're, we're looking forward to getting those classes back up and running. And I normally do about eight or nine events a year, dinners and demos and stuff like that. So yeah. uh, looking forward to getting that back up and running. Yeah, tremendous. And uh, good luck and, and, and all the best for the rest of the year as well. No, you too, you too. And uh, thanks for having us. It's been no, good tremendous fun. Tremendous speaking to you, Gary. Yeah, all the best. Yeah, speak soon. All right. Yeah, right. Cheers. 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 Yeah, Bye-bye. Wow, it was nice to hear from Gary McLean. I'm sure you all agree. Find out a bit about more about what we do at Mostly Dot Consulting. And next week is the turn of the Caledonia Braves CEO, Christopher Ewing. Uh, Chris is a really top bloke, a visionary, uh, someone who's done phenomenal things in football. And I think you'll all like next week's episode. Thanks very much and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Mostly Talk. Find us online at mostly.consulting. And if you enjoyed today's show, why not leave us a review or tell a friend?